So good to be with you this morning. As Jason mentioned, the youth have been gone for several weeks, and it's so good to be back with you this morning. And my first time back in a while, it's great to be able to open God's word with you. So I would invite you to find in the scriptures 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1 is where we'll be going this morning as we continue in this series of the Reformation that Pastor who has gone for the next couple of weeks, has done such a great job of starting and, and going into for us. There are many traditions that after the word of God is read, the reader will then say, this is the word of the Lord. And the congregation responds in unison with, thanks be to God. Still other traditions, the same thing is said after it is read, this is the word of the Lord, and yet one word is spoken by the congregation in unison, simply, Speak. I want us to try that this morning as we look into God's word and the message particularly about the word of God. As I read it, I'll say at the end, this is the word of the Lord, and you respond simply with, speak. And as you say speak, that's not just a word that you are saying, but a prayer that in this moment you desire to hear from God's word. That in so saying that simple word, you are saying, I'm not going to think about the events of yesterday, the events of this morning, what's for lunch this afternoon, the softball game we have to get to, everything I have to do for work next week, or whatever else is on your agenda. But in this moment, I'm ready to hear from the Lord. So let's stand together out of reverence for God's word, if you're able, and we'll read 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16 to 21. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased." We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on that holy mountain. And we had the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, unto the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing first of all that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Last summer, I had the opportunity to go up to uh, the northern Minnesota to the Boundary Waters with a group of high school students in one particular day, it was very windy on the lake that we were uh, about to go on after we just had a beautiful lunch together on this little island. And in this picture, I'm sitting in the middle of the boat, but on this particular time, I'm sitting in the back of the boat, which requires the most steering. And if you're ever in a canoe with me and I'm sitting in the back of the boat, make sure you switch seats, okay? It's not where you want me to be. And so we were going out on this crazy, windy day, setting out from lunch with white caps on the lake, and we were going to cross this lake to the other side. And our goal was to stay as close as we could to the shore without getting pulled out into the lake. And that did not happen. We didn't accomplish our goal. And every 
couple of times that we'd get back over to the shore, we would feel our canoe by the wind being pulled back out further into the lake. And we would paddle harder, and we would strain, and we'd get back, and then we would get pulled back out again. And every time we'd be like, oh no, here we go again. And we were uh, struggling at the oars for probably about 20 minutes or so. And at the end of it, we made our way back to the shore to the very same spot where we had just had lunch. (laughs) That whole time while we were out there struggling, I thought to myself, man, it'd be really nice at this point to have some kind of anchor. Something that would keep us grounded, that would keep us at least from drifting off into places that we did not want to go. A thing that would keep us grounded. Well, we need anchors in the Christian faith to keep keep us grounded, to keep us from drifting away into false doctrine. Paul reminds us of this in Ephesians chapter 4 when he tells us that a mature person is no longer to be like a child tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So what we're going to look at over the next couple of weeks is the five solas. And the five solas were developed out of the Protestant Reformation to keep us grounded, to keep us anchored. The church 500 years ago and before that had lost its anchor and it was drifting away into bad teaching, away from sound doctrine. And while the five solas are not the whole of the Christian faith, they are very close, and they help us to stay anchored to true biblical Christianity. Well, what are the five solas? As you'll see on the screen behind me, we have sola scriptura, sola gratia starting there, sola fide, solus Christus, and sola dea gloria. All these are Latin phrases, and as you see underneath them what the actual English phrase is, saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. And really we see all of these in Romans chapter 3 and throughout scripture, but this is a really helpful uh, space uh, for us to see this in Romans chapter 3 on the next slide. So we have... Romans 3, 23 through 25, that's sola scriptura. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's to the glory of God alone and are justified by his grace. There's by grace alone through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, that is through Christ alone, who was put forward as propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And you see that last one there, through faith alone. Now, the word alone, especially in the time of the Reformation and in our day today, is the important word. Because no one was denying Jesus, nobody was denying grace or the authority of Scripture, but what they were denying was that the Scripture and all those other things mentioned alone were sufficient for salvation and for the Christian life. And so our first solo this morning is the one that all the rest flow out of. It's where we get them from, and that is sola scriptura, or God's word alone. And God's word alone simply means that scripture is our ultimate authority, that it is trustworthy for faith and practice. 
Now, Scripture is not the only authority in the lives of the Christian, but it surely is the highest authority. It's not the only place where truth is found, but all truth in this world and all of our experiences needs to be weighed by the supreme authority of God's word in light of what scripture actually says. And as we've seen, Martin Luther was transformed by the word of God. He was set free when he read the scriptures. And when he was told to recant before the emperor, when he was told to recant before the council of the things that he had written, that salvation is through grace alone, this is his response. Although said very humbly, that's like the ultimate mic drop moment, isn't it? If he had one with him, it's like, boom, my conscience is held captive to the word of God. God. I cannot go against my conscience that tells me what is right and wrong because my conscience submits to God's word. What an answer. What captivates your conscience? The Catholic Church had taught that tradition was without error and on the same level as Scripture. The Pope did and can speak new revelation beyond God's word, and it was placed on the same level with the same authority as the word of God. So there's some truth with a little bit of tradition or air that was mixed in with it. And when you ever, when you put together truth with air, you don't end up with truth, you end up with just error, unless it's all complete truth. They said, the church determines the truth, and the Bible then adjusts to it. And so scripture alone, Dr. Matthew Barrett says, is the direct statement that the papacy, the pope, and everyone else was not a conduit of revelation, but that the Bible alone is. Furthermore, the pope cannot speak new revelation because he is not infallible, but sins like any other man. The Bible determines the truth. The church comes under its authority, doesn't stand beside it or above it, but under it and submits to it. Well, after that council, the Diet of Worms, Luther was kidnapped on his, on his way back. And his pastor told us he was kidnapped by his friends and taken to Vortberg Castle. And not only did he pin a mighty fortress is our God, which was a great fortress to write that in, right? What a great reference to look at as he was being protected by this fortress in the same way that he is by God himself in an even greater way. While he was there, he translated the New Testament into German in just 10 weeks. Now that is amazing that he was able to do that. God had gifted this man in such a way to be able to do that in such a short amount of time. And in God's sovereignty, around that same time, the printing press came to be. And more than ever before, the word of God went out and was into the hands of the people. And they started to read the word of God for themselves. And when Luther is asked, what caused the Reformation? Why was it so successful? He doesn't attribute to his 95 theses or his great boldness or anything else. This is what Luther says about the Reformation. The word did it all. 
I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. While I slept, the word of God so greatly weakened the papacy that never a prince or emperor did such a damage to it. I did nothing. The word of God did it all. So let that be a challenge to us to stick to the word. To stick to the word of God. In your cell groups, as cell group leaders, when it feels like people aren't changing or, or it feels like you are stagnant and you're not changing, don't think that it's something else that you need outside of the scriptures, but look and keep giving the word of God to yourself and to your group, to your kids, to your wayward kids, to the kids that are still growing up in your home to the kids that are outside of your home now. Keep giving them the word of God. Let the word of God do its work. In your ministry, as you counsel people, as you work with students, as you work with the children's ministry, we value and you are going to stay in God's word. Not saying don't be creative when it comes to teaching the Bible, but never move from beyond the Bible or thinking that it is not sufficient in itself, that it's more than what you need. And in your personal life, stay with the word of God. There are more supplements out there than ever before, which is wonderful. We live in such an age with so many helpful things to help us grow. But make the word of God your priority. Spend time in his word. As the great Reformed Baptist said, vacation in many good books but make your home in the Bible. Charles Spurgeon. Do you know what the biggest change was in the physical church during the Reformation? It was the furniture. The furniture in the church changed. The mass was no longer the focal point in the center anymore with the pulpit on the side. The pulpit was brought to the center of stage to show symbolically and also in practice that the proclamation of God's word was most important. So Luther says, my conscience is held captive to the word of God. What holds your conscience captive? We are captivated by the things that we value. What we value determines what is right and what is wrong. Does tradition captivate your conscience? Not all tradition is bad. In fact, tradition can be very helpful, especially if it points us and reminds us to the, to the gospel. And in fact, it's kind of interesting that the younger generations now are looking in some ways to bring some more traditional things back into the church setting. As they were mostly removed during the megachurch movement, the cross was taken down and other things. But is tradition that is not in the word of God what you value and what determines what you do? And the standard that you hold other people to. Traditions that aren't found in God's word and that's how you measure your own life and you measure the life of other people. Does your community hold your conscience captive? What everyone else is doing in your neighborhood is sports the, the greatest thing that I value for myself and for my children? 
Is my education and their education my greatest value? And that's what I work off of. What can they be involved in and what can they do? None of those are bad things at all, right? Good things. But is that what captivates our conscience? How about our feelings and our experience? I think now some 500 years later, this is a big one in our culture, that if it feels right, it must be right. If it feels good to me, then it must be truth to me. Or if I have experienced something and it feels bad or it feels good, that's where I determine my experience from. Many people just came back from a missions trip, just came back from camp. Maybe you've had some experiences in your lifetime, and you think, man, if I could just get back to that experience, then I could really have a great growth in God. I would have consistent growth in him. Or how many of you have said before, myself included, if I could just hear from God, then I could really grow. If I could just have an experience with him, that would make all the difference. Well, that is what Peter, in some ways, is writing to address in this passage that we read earlier. He's particularly talking about that truth doesn't come from our experience, but it comes from the word of God. And all our experiences must be tested by his word. So 2 Peter, verse 1, 16 through 18, I'll read that again. Peter, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when we received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son, of whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice, born from heaven, for we were with him on that holy mountain. So Peter is writing here to combat false teaching. People are coming in and saying that the return of Christ is not actually going to happen. And Peter is writing and saying, listen, I have seen Jesus glorified the way that he will be when he returns. And he recounts this amazing experience that he had uh, at Jesus' transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17. It's when Peter, James, and John went up a mountain with Jesus. Can you picture this? Jesus is walking by him and he says, hey, you three, come here, come on, we're going to go up this hill together. And as they go up there and they reach the top, the curtain is pulled back and they see Jesus in all his glory. They see him as he is now and how he will be when he will return a second time. And then Moses and Elijah show up too. And so Peter is saying, this is no myth, but a true experience that I had. This validates my claims on the return of Christ and my authority as an apostle. And then they heard the audible voice of God. As God from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Hear him. How amazing would that have been? How incredible was it? And Peter, even in that moment, understands that this is so amazing. He doesn't want to leave. Matthew tells us that he says, hey, this is really good, God. Maybe we should build some shelters and you guys can stay in them. And we can just stay on this mountain forever. Just you and I and the three of us and Moses and Elijah. This is awesome. I don't want this to end. 
But it does end. And as they're walking down the mountain, Jesus tells them, hey, I don't want you to tell anybody about this experience until after I've ascended to the Father. What would that be like, right? The secret between the three of them, they're coming down and they see the other apostles and they're like, they're like, what's going on with you guys? Nothing. Oh, man. They're looking at each other across the table, and Peter catches John's eye, and he's like, it's like oh, yes. can you imagine what the next morning was like when they woke up? You wake up, and you're like, ha, ha, Jesus, oh, just going crazy. Nothing would have brought more confidence to Peter. Nothing would have been more sure than that experience that he had which makes verse 19 so intriguing. Let's look at it together. And we have the prophetic word more surely confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Peter says, we had the prophetic word more surely confirmed. Kevin DeYoung says, often we compare the Bible to our experiences, and we see the Bible as inferior, less exciting, and less edifying. But that's the exact opposite of what Peter is saying. He says, we had the prophetic word more fully, fully confirmed. Actually, the Greek structure of this sentence says, we have a more sure, the prophetic word. So he is not saying that his experience makes the word of God more sure. But what he is saying is that the word of God is even more sure or greater than the experience that I had. Greater than the transfiguration? More sure? More trustworthy? When Peter is speaking to the prophetic word, he's speaking of the whole of the scriptures. He is showing that Jesus is going to come back in all his glory and they will see him when he returns. But he also knows that only three people would ever experience this. And he's saying, so don't feel like you have to go looking for this to be a great Christian. In chapter one, he says, you have the same status before God that I do. Don't feel like you are shortchanged. You have the word of God, which is more sure. I'm not downplaying your experience. Oh, maybe I am a little bit. I am. I'm just saying that your experience compared to the word of God is not more sure. And all our experiences need to be tested by God's word. I read an interesting article, which I think is good for us to contemplate and think about. It was in GQ style uh, with Brad Pitt, the actor Brad Pitt, who grew up in the Ozarks in a, what he would call an experiential church. And he told GQ that he wasn't impressed with the church that he was growing up in. Now, this is his perspective. I can't say the hearts of the people in that church. But he said it was wild and it wasn't attached to any kind of truth. And he said, it seemed like to me they were looking for the same high that I was when I go out and party with my friends. And so I never went back with my family. Let us not just be pursuing highs that we can get to feel good at a Christian concert, to have that feeling from the base and go, oh, I feel so close to God. No. 
We're supposed to draw in and build our life on God's word, not our experience. And when Peter says we have the more prophetic word, he's not saying that Peter, James, and John and I, that's a generic we. He's saying all of us have this confirmation. We all have this word. And why is this word so genuine, so real? Well, he tells us in in verse 20. He says, knowing first of all that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So he says, no interpretation comes from man. He's saying, it did not originate with me. We did not make this stuff up. Nobody can add to God's word. He's saying that about the false teachers in a Reformation context. The church can't add to God's word. In fact, Proverbs chapter, 13, or chapter 30 tells us, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. So it's not We can't add to God's word. We don't get to decide what God's word says because it's not our word. It's his. That's why 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that all scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Some of your Bibles might say the word of God is inspired. That's not the same way of saying that they were inspired by a sunset or by the Beatles or anything else. It means that it was literally the word of God was breathed out from God himself. The very breath that was blown into Adam's lungs was, is the very breath that brings life to the scriptures and brings life to us as a result of reading them. Rob Bell liberal theologian just came out with a a new book and in an interview about it he said this if you're reading the bible because you think it's inspired or without air you're reading it wrong he's saying the bible is about how the authors felt and why they felt it was necessary for these things to be written down it's really more a story about being human really than being about god that's the stupidest thing i've ever heard I mean, he just described everything you can find in a Nancy Drew book, right? I mean, it's ridiculous. That's why we read the Word of God, because it has its authority. It tells us about who God is, who we are in light of Him, that we're separate from Him, how to be right with Him, and what He requires of us. That's what it means when the men were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit directed and guided them to the very words that he wanted them to write while still keeping their personalities intact. So John sounds like John, Peter sounds like Peter, but they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy that I just read, verse 17 says, so the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The simplest person in this room is more equipped with the Bible than the wisest person on this planet. That's what Tyndall says, the man who was burnt at the stake for interpreting the Bible into English or translating it into English. He says, I defy the Pope and all his laws. And if God spares my life ere many years, I will cause a boy who drives a plow to know more about the scripture than thou doest. And this is something that is, I've experienced in my own life. 
when I was 24 years old, I thought I had the Christian life figured out. I was living from one experience to the next. And in that 24th year, God taught me how to read his word. And I didn't read it as a checklist because I knew someone was going to ask me about it. I read it, and that was for the very first time I understood what it meant to really experience God. And my conscience became captive to God's word. And things in my life that didn't bother me started to bother me because the, my, what tell me what was right and wrong was said what God says, not what I thought. Uh, if you've ever gone to a really cold pool and you've jumped in before or you've walked in slowly, what's usually everybody's reaction? If you go in slow, like even the manliest man like walks in like this, right? Like, <gasps> and the mom is like, says to the kids, don't splash me, Right? Or even if you just jump in and you take it all in, when you come up out of the water, you're like, whoo, right? But then after a little while, you get used to it. You go from being so aware of what's surrounding you to it just becomes comfortable. But then you go get in the hot tub. And then you get back in the pool, right? And it's even colder than it was initially. In the same way, we can be living in the world, and it seems it's, it's different. We're so aware of our surroundings but if we're not, our consciences aren't trained by God's word, it can feel uh, like we're not even aware of what's happening. The things that we watch don't bother us anymore. The way that we talk, the way that we spend our time, it doesn't really, we don't really think about it because we're not being penetrated by God's word. So God's word is like getting us into that hot tub of helping us be aware of our surroundings so that when we get back in it again, we notice the difference. Ooh, this is different I'm supposed to be on guard. My conscience is supposed to be different because I know God. So what is Peter calling us to here? Chuck DeClean, our very own, some five years ago speaking on this very text, said Peter is saying, you have an opportunity to go up that mountain every time you read the word of God. You get an opportunity to experience the transfigured Christ. Not to say that every day in the word of God is amazing, but it is God's very word that is given to us. Do you believe this is a more sure word? Do you? Do you believe that this is better than anything else? Then don't just own a Bible. Let it own you. Jesus would come down that mount of transfiguration only to a couple more weeks later to ascend another mountain. But at that time, he wouldn't climb that mountain to be affirmed by his father, but the exact opposite, to be rejected by him. To bear the sins of humanity in his body so that all who would believe would have sins forgiven and be affirmed by God himself to say, this is my beloved son, this is my son, my daughter, and I am well pleased, not because they've done a bunch of good things, not because they've had some great experiences, but because they've trusted in me through faith alone. And that's what the scriptures are all about. 
The scriptures are not there to make us really wise. The scriptures are not there to prosper us or to make us relevant or to make us super slick people in this world. The scriptures are there to make us wise enough or smart enough to see, our salva- see we need to be saved by Jesus. That's why he says in 2 Timothy 3.15, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So once you place your faith in him today, once you have your conscience to be held captive by God's word, your right and wrong and your authority comes from the very word of God. Let's pray. God, we love you. We're grateful for the history, people who stood up for what they believed, and their beliefs were based upon what your word taught. God, I pray for the one that's in this room that's just nominally living the Christian life, thinking, I just need another experience. I think even about the kids that came home from camp or a missions trip or the adults, too, that said, I could could just be like it was on that trip. God, I pray that you would help us to be people of your word, to see that your written word is more sure than anything else. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.